seems like we are just on the verge of being immersed in the culture of the mask, something we'll be talking about in a moment. It's This Week in the CLE, the Cleveland.com podcast about the coronavirus. I'm Cleveland.com editor Chris Quinn with editors Jane Cahoon, Chris Bernowski, and Laura Johnston. Hey, do any of you think we could get Amy Acton on this podcast or Governor Mike DeWine or Lieutenant Governor John Houston? What do you think? Sure. I think DeWine's been pretty prolific with interviews. Um, I think he was on 92.3 The Fan the other day. So I bet if you ask him nicely, he just might. Well, okay. we talk about a lot of stuff that, that matters to him. And I don't know. I th- and any of them. I think Houston, talking to him about unemployment, I mean, he clearly is immersed in it. He's clearly frustrated and actually a little bit angry about it. So I don't know. We'll see. I mean, we got Amy Acton to come to our office to talk to us about the coronavirus. So. Yeah, I'd love to get her on. We'd have a good conversation. That's when we were still shaking hands. (laughs) (laughs) In the the good old days. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Well, I like the team we have here now. So let's begin. Should I microwave my coronavirus mask? How do I clean my coronavirus mask? This is one of those issues I sent out in one of our from the newsroom text messages, and I received a big response. It's the coming culture of the mask. How many do I need? How do I avoid mask face from having it squeezed on my cheeks? Jane Cahoon, we set Seth Richardson off to answer these questions. And first and foremost, don't microwave them. <laughs> yeah, you really should not do that for a number of reasons. One, you know, a lot of them have this little metal part in them. And we all know that you're not supposed to put metal in a microwave. But but really, you could start a fire. I, I mean, some materials are combustible and so forth. And and it wouldn't even be effective anyway, because you don't know, like, if the level of heat, you know, would be proper to kill the virus. And anyway, what we should be doing is using good old soap and water to clean them. So, you know, if you can throw them in the washing machine, great. If not, you can do it by hand with, with soap and water. And you really should be washing your hands, you know, not only before and after you take off your mask, but before and after you um, wash it. I think I saw on Reddit, somebody tried to disinfect their money in a microwave and it was all like scorched and burned up. So uh, Clorox wipes, Lysol spray. I had read somewhere that if you rub the mask with Clorox wipes, that would help. But I, it sounds like not, right? Yeah, that's not such a good idea either. Those things are made, you know, for surfaces, for harder surfaces, not for soft material like this. Also, if you do that, you're, you're going to risk irritating your face when you put it back on. What about mask face? Those terrible lines left by the pressure of the mask edges and the humidity of breathing into it all day. You know, what does that do to my face and how do I protect it? What did Seth find? Well, the, he got a lot of tips on this. First, you should clean your face with, you know, gently with a, a gentle type of cleanser or soap and then and moisturize your face. Don't wear makeup because that could dirty the inside of your mask and nobody's going to see your face anyway. Uh, And you should have a snug fit, but, you know, not too tight where it's going to make those marks on you. And you really shouldn't get it saturated from your breathing. Or if you do, you should you should take it off and and let it dry out. Um, There's also a number of things you can do to protect your skin, like ahead of time with like a duoderm patch or a moleskin or something like that. But if it does get irritated, you could use something like petroleum jelly or, or ointment, you know, to, to relieve the irritation. So they are going to get 
moist and damp and humid because you're breathing into them. So if you're supposed to take it off, how many of these things do you need for a day at the office when we all go back to the office? <laughs> well, there's there's no real set number of masks you should have, but you really should have backups so that you could take it one off to dry it out or you know, you should be washing them between each use. So it's just, you know, you don't really want to be running your washing machine every day for to wash one mask. So, um, so you so really you, should have several of them. So you need, you need a mask drawer in your bureau. Like you have an underwear drawer or a sock drawer. You can need a whole <laughs> bunch of these damn things. I've, this is Laura Johnston. I've seen people asking on Facebook for people to make them. And a family of four was asking for 50. So I, I don't know how many people, mm. I, but they're, they're going to be multiple of this. And I've even seen them, you know, online for sale, like a, um, a Gilmore Girls one themed, you know, it's, it's okay. like 16 bucks. They're not cheap. <laughs> well, there's a, there's a online satire website called The Hard Times, which uh, they have taken to converting all of the T-shirts that they normally sell into masks. And we have ordered, I think, 10. The oh wow! So but I thought Amy Acton said that uh, we're talking to Chris Wernowski here. I thought Amy Acton said that you shouldn't use t-shirt material; that you need more of the cotton canvas cloth. They they have added that into it, I believe. Oh, I see. there's it's it's a multi-layered mask, and, and so it's you know, but we, you know, we, we figured two like we figured for a work week having one per day plus a backup in case you, you need it would be the best. God, I guess I'm going to have to make a bunch more. Than not, not, the, not the way I want to spend my time. Uh, speaking of masks, Metro Health is sterilizing 50,000 N95 masks a day now to deal with shortages. Chris Ranowski, Evan McDonald wrote this story. Other sterilization techniques for, for masks have gotten kind of big headlines. This one happened fairly quietly. Yeah, it kind of snuck up on everybody. I They, I, they, they said that they're going to start sterilizing something like five or 50,000 N95 masks a day. And they're using this system that was developed by this company called BioQuell. And I believe they originally took this techno got this technology to clean hospital rooms contaminated by things like Ebola and anthrax and, and other coronaviruses. And, and, and it basically uses the same, the aerosol, it, aerosolizes the hydrogen peroxide and and kills like nine something like 99.99% of the pathogens that are dangerous to human beings. You know what no one's talking about with these things though. I mean I get the whole idea let's sterilize it reuse it. I've used these masks a good bit in woodworking and after you wear one of these things for about 3 hours you really don't want to put it on again. I mean they they get kind of gross and and they fall apart. They're not made for for long term use. I just feel bad for the doctors and nurses who who get the mask back on its. What, how many times can they clean them? Twenty times on yeah. the nineteenth and twentieth time because it's <laughs> going to be kind of funky. But I'd love to hear from them. I'd love to hear from a doctor or nurse saying, you know, I get it. We're getting sterilized masks, but it's not all it's cracked up to be. Well, I, but you know, we're a throwaway culture anyway. So, you know, I mean, we we invented the disposable diaper. So, you know, it's it's, you know, the notion of reusing is is sort of foreign to, I think, a lot of Americans. So, you know, it's this is, you know, a dire time and, and they need this equipment. And so, you know, it's it may not be ideal and it may be funky, but, you know, we're in a beggars can't be choosers kind of position now because of 
our serious lack of planning to address something. Like oh, I, I get it. I just, I feel sorry for them because they got to keep wearing these masks that were really not, not designed for it. You're right. listening this week in the CLE. More than a month into the Ohio shutdown, do we face a food shortage? This question comes because meat processing plants that serve much of the nation have been shuttered because workers have the coronavirus. And one meat company CEO said the nation is near the edge of food problems. Chris Ranowski, we're still okay in Northeast Ohio. Yeah, but, you know, it's I was at Costco over the weekend and their meat selection was pretty limited. And so, you know, I you're, I think you're going to start seeing sporadic shortages in some places, but it doesn't necessarily mean the world is out of food. And because there's there's enough storage, I guess. The um, what, what, what caused the scare on this? Why? Why were people worried? So there was a Smithfield Foods plant in, I believe it was South Dakota, that closed after becoming the single largest, I think, source of infection in the United States. Uh, and so it's creating the the CEO came out and said the packaging plants are kind of a bottleneck in the U S food supply chain because it's, I mean, a lot of people are getting sick. And so it's, there was this immediate fear that, Oh, we're going to run out of meat. We're going to run out of meat. I mean, I talked to my mom yesterday and she goes, Oh, it looks like we're going to be out of meat now. And I'm like, I don't think we're going to be out of meat, but you know, I think, I think they're trying to gird, the American public to maybe be patient as more food makes its way to the storefronts and stuff like that. Because what we saw with the toilet paper wasn't the fact that we, the nation ran out of toilet paper. It was just everybody bought a bunch thinking it was going to be gone, took it home and sat on it. So, you know, there's probably freezers full of meat in homes around this country right now of people who were, you know, stocking their apocalypse bunkers. And, not and, sure you meant to say they sat on the toilet paper. <laughs> right. Good but, line. But but you know, so it's 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 interesting to see how people freak out at the notion of a minimal amount of doing without, though. You know, yeah, it, right. It, right. You know, it's I sent you that video yesterday of that blubbering older gentleman <laughs> who was crying, like on the verge of tears because he couldn't go to Lowe's and buy fertilizer for his right. yard. And it's like Look, man, like I remember hearing the stories about rationing in World War II. And 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 it's weird that this idea of collective sacrifice, is just just a taste of it is just throwing people off, just off their rockers. I would like to point out that 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 blubbering guy was in Michigan, not Ohio. <laughs> right. um, and South Dakota is taking it on the chin. It's a state that did not go with social distancing. And now it has a hotbed like that Smithfield Foods place. Um, the, we did it, the story that Pete Krauss wrote about this yesterday brought an interesting email from somebody saying, you know, what this points out is that we have serious limited number of choke points in the food supply in this country that, that actually makes our system fragile, that there's not thousands of farmers that are getting food to us, that there's just a handful of people that control it. So it might be worth exploring. As we, as agribusiness concentrated. Like it made the distance between the processing of your food and getting your food much longer. And and we're still a country that I mean, they're destroying like produce in the fields at huge rates because restaurants aren't buying them. So it's not that we don't have food. It's just not getting to where it needs to be. Okay, it's this week in the CLE. 
Why is the Youngstown area so heavy with coronavirus cases and deaths from the virus? Mahoning County has nearly 500 confirmed cases, more than three times the per capita average for Ohio, and 41 coronavirus-related deaths as of Wednesday, which was more than Cuyahoga County, a much bigger and more populated area. Lord Johnston, we've talked about this before, wondering why this is, but now we have a theory of sorts. Yes, there's a couple theories, no definitive answer. Reporter Robin Goist reached out this week to Dr. James Kravick, the medical director for Mahoning County Public Health and the chief clinical officer for Mercy Health Hospitals. He believes it might just be the advanced age of the county, all the elderly people. Mahoning, like its neighboring counties, is one of the oldest counties in the state. I believe it's the 16th oldest. Its residents are an average of 43.5 years old. And the average in Ohio is 39.3. Other hotbeds of the virus have big hub airports like Detroit had infected people flying in and out of. Youngstown doesn't have anything like that. There was a theory that it might have a lot of nursing homes where the virus runs rampant. But that's not really another possibility, is it? No, I guess only 54 percent of Mahoney County's coronavirus cases have been residents of long term care facilities. But actually, there's no major airport, but traveling could be a reason, uh, Dr. Kravick said. Uh, Interstate 80 runs through the county, which is a major route between Pittsburgh and Cleveland, as well as from New York to Chicago. So maybe a bunch of travelers stopped at rest stops, ate at restaurants, filled up their gas tanks. We don't know. We'll probably never know. I don't know. I've I've gone to Pittsburgh. I've gone through there a million times. I've never stopped. So I don't know how much how much that could be. It's this Uh, week in the CLE. Should people be exempt from paying student loans during the coronavirus pandemic? Congress and President Donald Trump suspended the collection of federal student loan debt through September. Ohio Attorney General Dave Yost got state colleges and universities to stop creating new debt. But a bunch of groups want Yost to go deeper to protect our more vulnerable populations. Jane Cahoon, who are these groups and what do they want? Well, there's several advocacy groups, including Policy Matters Ohio, Innovation Ohio, the Ohio Student Association, and College Now Greater Cleveland. They wrote a letter to Yost and asked him to stop the collection of any student debt from public colleges and universities in Ohio uh, during and after the coronavirus pandemic. They also want to completely erase some of that debt, right? Yeah, they're asking that for forgiveness of 30% of student debt in Ohio owed by people who are out of work because of the crisis. They say there's leeway in the Ohio Revised Code that that gives the Attorney General the the power to do this. I just want to make sure I understand it. This applies to loans made directly by the colleges? Yeah, as you said um, a little while ago, it's not the same as the federal student loan program. These are the public institutions that certify the debt, and then it's the attorney general's job to go after it. And as you said, the the big stimulus package that Congress passed and President Trump signed last month suspends the collection of the federal student loan debt through September 30th. One of the arguments they make is this affects low-income people more than others. How, How is that? I didn't understand the logic on that. Yeah, one of these groups, Policy Matters, did, did a study recently that documented um, that the collection of this debt, debt uh, disproportionately affects Ohioans 
who are least able to afford it, including lower income people and minorities and, and older students. The fines and the interest from all this debt balloon over time and just makes it harder and harder for for these students. And it also affects two-year colleges more, which are more affordable and you're you're more likely to find um, these populations. But I mean, is that logic just based on people who borrow money are the the people who have the least means? I mean, it's is it's just a natural definition. If I have debt, then then I don't have means, and so automatically I'm one of the the lower income populations. Yeah, it, it's like a spiraling thing, you know. It's like with the payday loan, you know, uh, how. It just gets out of control, and then you're you're sunk. You're you're in the middle. You're trapped in a low wage job, and and you don't have a way to get out of it. Any word from Yost? Well, um, he didn't directly say anything about it, but his spokesman noted that the attorney general's office has already agreed to to review these requests for relief, like on a case to case basis, and and that process is ongoing. And and those cases are in various stages, depending on what kind of previous agreements they had, and and sometimes litigation is involved. Okay, it's this week in the CLE. Why is the image from my Google Nest camera suddenly so fuzzy? One upshot of the huge number of us who are working from home has been a large jump in broadband use, and the providers have been scrambling. People have talked about Netflix breaking down and CBS All Access failing badly. The latest attempt to provide relief comes from Google and the cameras it sells for home surveillance. I should acknowledge I have some of these. Chris, what's going on? Yeah, apparently Google said that they're going to start adjusting the quality of the video that Nest security cameras capture to ease the strain that is being put on broadband networks. And they're going to do it automatically, I guess. (laughs) And you're not going to have much much say in what they do with the thing that you bought. So did Google do this without asking people or, uh, you know, I know it at least let them know, but was there, was there like an approval or did they just do it? They just hit the switch. I believe they just hit the switch. I think, I think it's just something that they can do, you know, regardless of, of what you want at this point. And I mean, I guess I would wonder if you're home all day, why do you need your security cameras on? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And actually, I think a lot of people keep them on low resolution anyway, because it does suck up broadband. Did um, the Internet providers ask Google to do this? I mean, Google does provide some Internet. I still I think still, but they're not one of the nation's big providers. Was this done at the request of the, you know, the AT&T's and those? Yeah. And I think, you know, I think what we're what we're kind of seeing now is not to be flip about this, but I think our broadband infrastructure in this country kind of sucks. And there's a need right now for people who are working at home and especially for kids who are learning at home, you know, the ones that do have access to broadband to, you know, that's sort of what they're using this. They're freeing up this broadband for. And so, you know, while some of us are going to be complaining that we can't watch you know, 4K <laughs> streaming movies on on our TVs. It's really being done in order to try to to make sure that people can learn and and work out of their homes during this time. It's Laura Johnston. I just want to add in something that I checked our Nest camera that Cleveland.com has for the Rock the Lake site this morning, and it still looks pretty crisp in my opinion. You could see the seagulls and the snow on the side of the Cuyahoga River. 
What about the people who say the cameras are their property and Google has no business unilaterally adjusting them? Is this akin to me buying a couch with blue cushions and the maker sneaking into my house to swap them with red cushions? Is there fine fine print that says Google? Did your your couch come with a probably 50-page privacy (laughs) addendum? I doubt it. You know, that's one of those things where, where we don't, we don't read our use it user agreements where, you know, I guarantee you the fact that the company has the ability to go in and turn this off is probably the least worst thing about that. <laughs> if you dug into those things, the amount of data they're collecting on you from that stuff is, is, is insane. Like it, it is pretty wild. All right. You're listening to this week in the CLE. Have we heard any more from the Chagrin Falls guy accused of price gouging on coronavirus masks? We talked yesterday about a guy sued under antitrust laws by the Ohio Attorney General on allegations he was charging ridiculous prices for a stockpile of N95 masks. The accusation was that he amassed 1,200 of them. They normally cost two bucks. He was selling them for $36. Attorney Dave Yost wants 25000 in fines for each sales. And last night, Chris Warnowski, we got the mask seller side of the story. Yeah, we it, it, it was interesting. We got this email kind of right in the early evening. But the attorney uh, for, for this gentleman who has been a, the center of this antitrust lawsuit that Yost filed said, you know, I didn't buy these masks at all during the pandemic. And he went on to explain in a very sort of lengthy and well thought out letter that that he bought these for his workers, you know, like last year prior to this pandemic arising. And, and he, he thought, well, you know, I keep hearing about companies in, in doctors and hospitals that are in need of this. So he said he decided to try to throw it. He just threw it on eBay to see what the going rate would be. And he got $375 for it. So he threw a bunch of other boxes of them up at a similar price his quote was, he's like, I didn't buy these masks with the intention of selling them at all. You know, once business slowed down due to the coronavirus, I tried to get the masks I had purchased over a year ago into the hands of the people who wanted them at a price that the market determined and nothing more. And so, you know, what he was saying was, you know, he was making the case that like, look, I, I, my business has slowed down too. You know, I, you know, I have employees that I'm trying to keep whole. And, and so, you know, this is, this is going to be a really interesting case because it, if, it if, is, it, it's right back to the question I asked yesterday. Isn't this basic capitalism, letting the market decide? And he comes across somewhat sympathetic, although he is he is proposing a solution. What does he want to do? Well, he he basically said that he was sorry for his actions and he didn't mean to hurt anyone. And he offered to donate the ones that he still has left to healthcare facilities in Northeast Ohio. I, I don't want to opine too much about this, but, you know, the state or somebody should offer to buy these from him at, and not make him take a loss on this. You know what I mean? It's I didn't anticipate this defense being so, so good. Like, I mean, it's such a it makes so much sense. And, and it's such a reasonable explanation for what happened. And so I'm eager to see what happens with this lawsuit because, you know, he hit the ball back to Yost in a way that I, you know, it, it's hard to see what's going to happen or it, it's hard to see how this is going to proceed. Well, Yost you know? has an easy out. He could say, you know what? Okay, I get it. Give the masks that you have to the hospitals. Um, let's walk away. Although Yost did seem to say in his lawsuit, there were lots of others that were not named. 
this is one of those examples where the first day of a story, uh, you know, gives you the partial view. And I'm really glad he stepped in to, to fill us in. So you're listening to this week in the CLE. Will the Indians play games this year? That's a question on a lot of minds. Yesterday, Jane Cahoon, Dr. Anthony Fauci, a member of the president's coronavirus task force, said professional sports could come back this summer, but with a big caveat. Yeah, he basically said they could resume without spectators and they would have to keep the, the players closely watched in, in hotels and, and monitor and, and test them frequently. The question on that, though, is whether the leagues can make money to pay for it all. If the NFL played and the only way you could see it was on television, maybe the revenue would be there. Well, gosh, look at what they would lose with, you know, concessions and parking and, you know, not to even mention the, the economic impact for the, the restaurants nearby and all the places that do great business during games. One of the possible solutions that I've heard bouncing around is is that you could allow in fans in much more limited numbers. And if they wore masks and they sat in such a way where their their people were together, the people that lived together could sit next to each other and then be surrounded by empty seats before there are other people. I just wonder about how that works. So, you know, Jane, you and your husband are diehard Indians fans. You go all the time. So say you and he go and occupy two seats, but the seats in front of you, behind you, and next to you are empty. Or maybe they separate you by two seats. Would you go? Would that work? You know, this is weird. I, I just have a hard time seeing this. Number one, we like talking to the people who, who have the seats next to us. So it would be weird. Like if, if we go, would they not be allowed to go or, or vice versa? Now, there is a guy who sits a few rows in front of us who actually flosses his teeth during <laughs> So he couldn't would, do that. He'd have a mask on. I, I don't think do he'd be able to do it, but I would not mind missing that part of the show. But I don't know. It it's just it would just be weird. I just don't know how practically it could work. This is Laura Johnston. I was just thinking about this last night, and there's that entire upper section that they barely ever sell. So if you're worried, you can just go sit there, and you'll be the only one around for like <laughs> sections. Well, but but look, we know that if if this is opened up somehow, there'll be very strict rules and those rules will require the distancing, which will curtail the number of people that can go. And let's face it, if you're wearing a mask, you're not eating hot dogs, you're not drinking beer. And so that also cuts into the revenue. I just, you know, Jane, you're my example because you go all the time. And if you have doubts about whether you would go, you know, if you play the game, will they come? Yeah, I'd really have to think about it. I, I'm not prepared right now to say I'd go. I'd really have to see what the specifics were. Well, Governor Mike DeWine keeps threatening to release his plan to reopen the state. Maybe it'll cover this. The restaurants clearly need the fans back at the games, so they're not going to come back even if they're allowed to reopen. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. That's it for this episode. We'll wrap up a week of discussion tomorrow. Thanks to Chris, Lauren, Jane, and thank you for listening to our podcast. Thank you.